Welcome to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with Pastor Brad Cummings. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots, and today is Friday, September 9th in the year 2022. In fact, tonight I'm speaking at the Covenant, the festival by the Resistance Chicks. And as part of that, I'm bringing you a great interview with Pastor Brad Cummings, who's a good friend of mine and always an amazing conversation, which I think you'll enjoy very much tonight. I also want to just make special mention to Duncan, the Kilted Christian, who has been such an amazing back-end support as I've done this journey. And it's just been fantastic. So thank you, Duncan, and make sure and give him a big thanks and a lot of prayers for all that he's doing. Before we begin... We are in very critical times, patriots, with our finances, with the state of the nation. And with that, you need to make sure and secure the hard-earned capital that you have. That's why we have the folks at Birch Gold. Inflation is real. The CPI is at another 40-year high, hitting 9.2%, and real inflation on daily goods, bread, milk, meat, gas for your car, even rents, are at over 30%. The recession is real. If all your money is in the market or tied up in U.S. dollars, you're messing with fire. It's critical for you to take a hard look at diversifying your savings into gold and silver. That's where the professionals at Birch Gold come in. Text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 and get a free information kit on how to diversify and protect your savings with precious metals. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers, gold is the right investment to make now. Text BARDS to 989898 and get real help from Birch Gold today. Again, text BARDS to 989898 to claim your free, no-obligation information kit on how to protect your hard-earned savings with gold. The challenges that we continue to face are the challenges in moving this nation back to a nation that has centers itself on the throne of God and the love in Christ. That's the intent, really, of our founding fathers and why this country was so successful in the early years and so much, in my opinion, of why we've moved so far away from that center point and why we are seeing such craziness in this day. It's a difficult walk, and especially for a nation where there's so many things going on. The challenges that we face right now are not just the challenges of faith, but it's the challenges of the strength in faith that's being preached from the pulpit. Our pulpits have become weak, and it's a very unfortunate event. But our pulpits founded this country from a very ferocious pulpit that was calling out tyranny and also making a stand against tyranny. Tonight's interview with Pastor Brad Cummings is going to open that conversation up in a good way, and it's going to be part of, an, of ongoing conversations that we have about strengthening the message of God and building on the martial aspects of our faith. 
So with that, let me introduce to you Pastor Brad Cummings. Patriots, I'm really honored this evening to have Pastor Brad Cummings with me. He's an unbelievably close friend of mine. I've come to know this man in, in amazing ways. He has a beautiful heart. He has a heart for Jesus like few you will ever meet. He's also the editor of the Founders Bible, one of the producers of The Shack, unbelievably talented, and even at one point in his life did a bunch of surfing in Malibu and also was a bit of a beach bum before he became a globally recognized pastor. This guy's got all sorts of things going for him. Anyway, he's one of God's great soldiers in this fight. So Brad, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you, Scott. You're very kind. Yes, I was a, I was a homeless man in the, on the beaches of Malibu. That's a pretty good place to start. Yeah, it is. God, God, God has done marvelous things, and I'm grateful. I don't know how much we'll get into that tonight, but I definitely want to talk about our current events because you and I have been having some incredible conversations about the state of things, wrath, judgment, our responsibilities in this time, and really how that is from the biblical perspective, how you and I share a lot of that and how there's been some real deviation in some of the softer preaching from the pulpit. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's so difficult for me right now is you just you have a lot of people that are recognizing, gosh, it seems as if justice is one of those things that you can't really seem to see happen. There's, there's a tremendous amount of things that are happening that people know that are wrong. And it's like everyone's lament is like, you know, where's God? Why isn't he doing something? And, you know, God can correct me on this one, but I'm pretty sure that he calls us to do justice. And, and so I, I, I would go like, if, if that's something that we're supposed to do, we're supposed to um, confront evil and we're supposed to exert dominion over it. Um, I think we have way too much of a passive response as if we think it's someone else's job for us to do. And I think, you know, for a lot of people it's like, well, you know, I'm not the government. So it's like, what happens when the government goes wrong? You know, it's like, I, I think you, you and I are both very fond of the Declaration of Independence. We're at that duty part of the Declaration where, you know, when government seems to have gone afoul and it will not respond to the list of grievances, and it, it's no longer doing its job, which is to protect our God-given rights, it's not just our option, it's our duty to overthrow and dissolve those bonds and then set up something that will. And, you know, so I end up scratching my head going like, I wonder how God up in heaven receives a lot of our, I'm almost going to say whiny prayers like, God, why aren't you doing something? And it's like, I think he might be kind of sending a quick text back saying, that's what you're there for. Exactly. And I just, I mean, I just, I don't want to make light of it, but I just end up going like, gosh, you know, it says in Romans that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool. And I'm going like, okay, if he's seated, then who's doing that? I think that's, the, that, that's what is assigned to us as citizens of that kingdom. We're supposed to be bringing those things into submission to Christ. And, and, and so I think the, 
the thing is that rolling around in my head is, you know, we're commanded to do justice. And what happens if we don't do justice is judgment comes. And I don't think we're going to enjoy that as much because that, that's, you know, I, but, but I also want to say judgment is not exactly what we think it is. I think we confuse it with wrath because judgment is God coming to set things right. And I want that. I pray for that all the time. And I pray that I pray for that in my life. Um, what I don't want to be is subject to God's wrath. And that's God's retribution for evildoers who will not change. And so I, I kind of feel like, you know, we have a window of time. You know, I've been talking about how there, you know, I think this nation and much of the, of the world is in that, that valley of decision. And we're being given an opportunity to really return to God and to be about our father's business. Um, but if we fail that, then we're going to end up at a much different outcome that we don't need to. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think this is one of the big issues that we're at right now, which is the realization that, and you and I, sh- I shared this with you before the show, as I've kind of shared this in its pieces throughout the week on the show. I mean, there's literally tears and anger in heaven right now. And it's, we're not accounting for the fact of the amount of sacrifice that has been made, not even mentioning the sacrifice of Christ for us that is just being squandered away around us by so many for the sake of let's get back to normal. Let's get back to our normal nonsense business where we don't have to really be accountable to anything. We can go about doing our regular daily routine. I mean, I see it right now traveling a lot, especially at the hotels. And, I, and I'm, I'm at a particular hotel right now in Raleigh that is one of, I, it's one of Marriott's, uh, I don't know, one of their collection hotels. And it's just swank garbage here when I say that. I got walked in, I was like, oh, this was a bad choice. Because I've got, you know, all the fitness freaks and the, and the cool tattoo ladies hanging out at the bar. And everybody is so completely consumed about their image and about how others are looking at them. And I, I'm literally thinking like, okay, was this my choice or did God put me here as a test? Because it's, it's that type of feel. And yet that isn't abnormal in the, in, the new, in the normal or new normal of the world. I mean, that's how we've become as a society. Godless, eyes not on Christ, eyes on my fitness instructor, eyes on my my plate of, you know, low calorie, keto friendly food. It's, there's just this falseness to everything in these environments. And, and yet that's the plasticness of the world in which we live. And then there's this other dimension, which as we walk with Christ, we see, we feel, we live, we breathe. And it's, it's really like the divergent worlds. The two do not mix at all, acid and water. Well, you know, I think one of the hardest things is a powerless church for a generation is what I think has led to that. Because, you know, I don't think there's any way to read through the Bible and to come up with the idea that we don't serve a supernatural, very much engaged in the lives of the believers, God. And yet the the character caricature of just simply going to Sunday church meetings when nothing really happens of significant consequence. 
And I don't want to denigrate when the, when the gospel is proclaimed and that people are brought to salvation. I think that's great. But it's like, that's just the entry point. There's so much more that we're meant to be involved in. And I think if, if that witness was happening in the earth, you wouldn't have so many people just kind of like bored out of their minds going nowhere. And, and, I, and you know, I think the thing that I get excited about is the fact that nature abhors a vacuum. And that means that when the barometer gets so low where it's like, you know, the barometer for morality has sort of fallen out the bottom, you end up inviting a hurricane response to that condition. And I think God is fixed to do something absolutely fantastic. I mean, I sort of feel like my entire life I have been in pursuit of a day and an hour that, that you refer to as the, the greater work. And, you know, it's like, you know, the works that Jesus did, he said, you shall do and greater works than these because I go to the Father and I'm just going like, dude, I just want to do the works he did. But he's talking that there's going to be a period of time that I think God is going to be made manifestly present to a whole bunch of people who are deaf, dumb and blind to spiritual things. And what you're describing sitting in the lobby of the of the hotel is probably a bunch of the deaf, dumb and blind. And, you know, I don't tend to look at them like, what's so wrong with them? I end up going like, hey, God, could we do something about that? You know, um, I, I don't know. I don't know how I don't know how Christianity works without being utterly saturated with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I've tried and I kind of suck at being, you know, a great religious performer. But when I yield myself to the Spirit of God, it's like, my gosh, what un, un, what, what gets unleashed is fantastic. And I think we're at that place where it's like we got we have no other solution than to see God return manifestly in the midst of His people because they actually are crying out for Him like that. Well, that kind of leads into this current state of things, and quite well, in fact, which is suffering and having to suffer through the consequences of a world that we had hand in making and one in which we constantly are turning to have others fix for us. This is one of the great ironies of our time because what we are living through by virtue of inaction or acceptance of these crazy rules has brought us to this point. And it is those in power that have, managed to get us to acquiesce with our own will to be part and parcel to this design of degradation and collapse that we're living through. And it seems at that point, people are beginning to realize that all of those great promises that were made just aren't going to manifest through the tongues and deceit of men. And they are starting to seek the question is, will their eyes fall to Christ? And, and we're seeing more of it. I hope we see a much more of it. But I think your point is well taken, is that there is a point where at the moment when when Father manifests himself in, the, in a form that all can recognize or feel, there is a priming, so to speak, going on right now, a, a readying of the souls that they will be willing at last to see him and recognize him as the true authority. You know, there, there's two really cool promises that I I have camped, uh, you know, I've camped in front of it as and made as prayers. I mean, the Apostle Paul writes in First Corinthians, I think it's 
two four. I think that's the address. He says that the gospel is not in persuasive words of men's wisdom, but rather in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. That's what he wants our faith to rest on. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I think we've suffered through a generation of just, you know, nice apologetics, mere words of men's wisdom. And it's not bad. I, I, it, it's not terrible, but it, that's not what Paul wanted our faith to rest in. He wanted it to rest on a person that was undeniably present. And I'm going like, well, gosh, if he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, I'm kind of thinking that'd be important to pay attention to. And yet most of the folks that I know that name Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that's not what their faith rests on. That's what they're hungry for or they long to see, but that's not commonplace. And there's another great verse, and we put this at the front of the Founders Bible just because I just thought it was the absolute capstone of, of the season of life we're in. It's out of Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 3, and it, it talks about a time of darkness covering the whole earth in deep darkness on the people. And I think there, it, that's interesting. It's like there's two different kinds of darkness. It's like there's just, yeah, there's darkness around the world, but then there's specifically on the people a total deception that's resting. And you know, it's like, ooh, that's not real good news. But right then it says, you know, rise and shine. For the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And he's talking right to Isaiah there. And, you know, by virtue of Isaiah sharing that to the rest of us. And, and the good news is kings and queens will come to the brightness of your appearing. That's not a verse about the second coming of Jesus. That's a verse about God being revealed in and through his people before he ever comes for them. And I think that's what the world is needing to see. You know, the, the, the tatted up folks sitting there at the bar that are trying to get inebriated with something, if they saw us shining like a thousand watt neon bulb because we had Jesus dwelling on our insides in, in, in sufficient order, they would respond. I mean, the tiniest little light overcomes the deepest darkness. And I just end up going like, okay, well, game on. Let's be those kinds of Christians. And I think one of the real important things is, where is your focus? Because if 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 all if all right now everyone is just seeing the the darkness and the and the problems, it's like, yeah, those are part of the fact pattern. We need to be aware of that. But I'm only going to shine if I first do the rise and then get my gaze focused on Jesus. You know, there, there's there's a great little old hymn that talks about, you know, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I got to tell you, that has just been something rolling through my spirit of a recent day to just go like, you know, I can see all the darkness. But the only way I'm going to shine and make much of a difference is if I get tractor beamed in my focus and passion upon the, you know, the one whom my heart loves. And it's like, you know, how do you get more Jesus? You ask. And then you actually gaze long enough to receive something. I think a lot of people check in and they don't really stay there until an exchange happens. I think that last statement is so important to ask. I don't know what the intimidation is. Um, 
and there is an intimidation, I think, the idea that somehow we shouldn't, can't, aren't worthy, and yet here we are in a moment in time when I feel personally, and I think we've shared this, we share this, God is pouring out his love, pouring out his blessings, and all we have to do is ask, and he's there like never before, and I would say we're in a presence, in a place and presence in this world where we're much more in tune to that gift and giving and love that he's pouring out. And all we have to do is ask. God does not use perfect people because there aren't any. You know, he doesn't use worthy people because there aren't any. Um, He goes to the discard pile of humanity and he delights in doing that. He chooses the things that are weak to shame the strong. He chooses the things that are foolish to shame the wise. And then he chooses like the Donald Trump versions of ignoble to shame the noble. And he just go like, he, he picks unlikely disqualified humans by our reckoning. And then he qualifies it. And that's part of what I, I think is meant to be his displayed splendor of his presence because it's like you could look at that person like whoa if he can do that in them certainly he could do that in me and i think that's i think that's the takeaway with we're, we're supposed to get is like you know when people say well you know i you know i don't i don't feel worthy i'm going like great then there's probably less pride to have to sort through you know it's like well i don't feel capable great because not much is really going to happen in your strength you know, I, 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 have, I have loaded my gun with every single Jesus bullet I have, and I've shot it at every target I could shoot at until I sort of exhausted it, and I really wasn't all that enamored with the results. Did I try hard? Yes. Was I sincere? Yes. But real change, eternal ones in the lives of people, that happens because we actually are relying on the presence and the power of God. And I don't know about you, but I feel woefully inadequate most of the time. The answer to that is twofold. It's always striving to accomplish more than I possibly can, as God puts it before us. But I I would only add to that piece that I don't seek to stay down. I'm always seeking to rise through him to try to accomplish new levels in which he puts before me. And in that amazing process of trusting, I think we discover a lot about ourselves, of really how much greater that we are, and that's his grace to us. And, and, and you know what, what you just identified is like really important because, you know, as, as well as I know you, I don't, think, I don't think we've had but a millisecond of, you know, thinking about or talking about, gee, I can't. I don't seem to hear that out of you any time, and I think that's really important. I think when we're worried about ourselves and we're not worthy, our focus is in the wrong place. We're looking at ourselves. I think when our when our gaze is upon Him, I don't really I don't really have any of those thoughts. I'm not all that self aware because I'm not looking at self. Well, Brad, this this really feathers in well to something you opened my eyes to, which I completely appreciated and was the discussion of the fear of the Lord 
And it was very much the similar response that you gave. It's like, as I am within him and tucked within Father, there really is no fear because I know I'm working with him. It's, it's a working through process, not an outside going to get wrath process. Right? Yeah, I, I, think, I think if we really are aware of how God has placed us smack dab in the center of his affection, then I'm aware of how much love I really am. And I got to tell you, that displaces fear. You know, I, I've, got, I've got tons of impossible circumstances surrounding me that I don't have a solution for. You know, I mean, I just, I go like, well, my resources are insufficient to meet the demand that's in front of me. But when I'm aware of just how much he does love me, I don't spend any time worrying about that as if, oh, I've got to be in a different space. The fear of the Lord is not my needing to be afraid of him as if, oh, he's got some lightning bolt in his hand. I think the fear of the Lord is my being outside and having stepped beyond that place of his affection and blessing. Because I've walked in a place of disobedience. I don't want to do that. Do, do, do I stumble? Do, do, I, do I sin? Yeah, not as much as I used to. But I haven't reached, you know, sinlessness yet. But when he says to the woman caught in adultery, you know, go and sin no more, I end up going like, well, did he mean it? Because that's pre-cross. If he, if he said it and it was just hyperbole, then he was kind of lying. And that would disqualify him from being our savior. So I think he meant it. But the problem is we don't really take him at face value. I think he spoke life into her and spoke ability into her that if she would accept that, she would have the capacity to do things that she otherwise wouldn't think she has the capacity for. And so I think when we look at the fear of the Lord, it's like, yeah, it's the beginning place of wisdom. But I'm not supposed to be rooted and grounded in fear. I'm supposed to be rooted and grounded in love. And to, and to what measure? That I might be filled up to the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I don't even have any clue what that means other than it's a lot. Yeah, like a ton. I think a ton. There's a... There's... <laughs> I won't say the whole thing. But there's a, I, mean, I, think you, I think if you had that measure, you really would be like Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and you'd be glowing in the dark. Oh, yeah, and like those mountains would be moving <laughs> from yeah. here to there, no problem. Brad, I want to read a uh, passage that we've talked a lot about. I'd like you to expand on it and just kind of okay. dig into it, and it's Matthew eleven twelve. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. That really doesn't fit in a pacifist model, does it? Not at all. <laughs> I mean, I, I think first and foremost, we have to come to grips that we have been jettisoned behind enemy lines in an already existent war. And we are in we are in a war and i think most people are trying to scream peace peace and it's like well guess what not yet that hasn't been established because the enemy of you and i and of god very god has not yet been made a footstool 
all the provisions for it have, but 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 we're in we're very much in a battle. It's kind of like, you know, when they uh, made the declaration of you know the Emancipation Proclamation and they you know, they just outlawed slavery. That was authority that was granted, but then the slaves actually needed to have that message told to them. Then they had to have the courage to believe it and cross enemy lines to a place of freedom. And I think that, you know, the battle line there is the kingdom of God suffers violence. We really are at war with a rebel. He is not an obedient enemy. He is a rebel who still has the delusion that he might win or might just forestall his doom. And we're warned in Scripture, it talks about that, you know, in, in the last days, fierce, perilous, demon-filled, possessed times will come. Why? Because of what men have become. And it's like we've opened the door for the enemy in, in an extraordinary way. And it's like that is a challenging time that we're in. And we've got to reckon with that that says, okay, well, I'm no longer going to be AWOL. I'm going to endure hardship like a good soldier, and I'm going to show up for battle. And I think we have become such a pacifist, wussified little army that, 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 that doesn't want to think that, you know, gee, that's up to us. We, we'll relegate that to, well, that's the angels and demons fighting in the second heaven. I'm going like, you know what? You can gain air supremacy, but if you never actually have boots on the ground to actually enforce that supremacy you don't gain ground keep ground or move anything and i think that's what we're kind of missing you know when when jesus's ministry he said he, he he said i came to destroy the works of the devil i mean that's a purpose statement of of, of why he showed up and i ended up like well who's doing that you know um when, when i was a, a, a younger man and I was out at seminary. Um, I had stopped by a bookstore because I needed to get some, some other textbooks. And in that bookstore came some crazy-looking wild-eyed woman that, frankly, was manifesting a demon. And everybody in the place was going like, oh, we got to get one of the pastors. got to get one of the pastors. And it's like it was after hours, and they had gone home. And I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of going like, what do, you, what do you do? And the Lord spoke to me real clearly. He said, Brad, pray for her. And immediately my response was, well, I, you know, but I'm not, you know, I don't know if I have my demon driver's license. I, I don't know if I'm, you know, qualified or, or licensed. Or, and he just said, Brad, I've already ordained you. Now pray for her. And without knowing much of anything of what I was doing, I simply had a genuine heart for a hurting, broken, confused person. And God somehow made the words of my heart fit the situation, and he acted on them, and he delivered that lady. And, and I mean, honestly, that moment changed me because I stopped going to seminary for some certification. Because the living God had said, I've already ordained you. I've qualified you. Now simply do the works. And part of that is destroying the works of the devil. And we're meant to heal. We're meant to cast out demons. It's not just, you know, psychological trauma. You know, and, and so I, I kind of feel like, you know, the kingdom of God suffers violence. 
And then my response is, well, are, is anyone going to do anything about it? And it says, and the violent take it by force. And I've asked a bunch of my, my buddies. It's like, well, you know, so what do you think that means? Some of them go like, yeah, see, it's like evil men do do terrible things by force. And I'm going like, is that the only way to read that? Is, are you sure that's the way it's supposed to be read? It's like, that's the way they read it. When I, when I read it, I end up going like, okay, John the Baptist, you know, when he's out by the River Jordan, how is he addressing the religious dudes of the day? <laughs> Calls them, you brood of vipers. I mean, he wasn't some like, little pacifist dude. I mean, he was like, bring it. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, who are who authorized you? I don't know. I eat locusts and I wear camel's hair and I'm the I'm the the cousin of of, of the Messiah. <laughs> like, I, he didn't go to Jerusalem Seminary. And I, I think I think what what we've been missing, and and it's why you know, I, honestly, what's why I've been drawn to you as just a friend, is I feel like it's like okay, someone who actually knows what it is to be a soldier, and someone who isn't frightened of the reality of war and can bring Jesus to bear on that situation. So I think when it says the violence will take it by force, I think we're meant to have a spiritual aggression that is utterly intolerant of demonic advancement. And you know, I'm, I'm watching a nation in the globe that is way too deep into just the compliance. You know, I'll keep my head down. Everyone's sort of playing survivor. You know, like, you know, don't want to get thrown off. Don't want to, don't want to leave because they're the first to get picked off. And I'm just going like, okay, that's not going to work. We need to advance the kingdom. I don't think you win wars by defense. You don't. <laughs> this is the bottom line. Siege warfare is done effectively when you're on the outside of the wall. There's only a few occasions in history when those <laughs> inside the wall actually survived. And I wouldn't say they were victorious. They did survive. It's it's this is the mentality we've arrived at too much, and I'm I'd just like to get your perspective on this from inside the church. And that is, you know, and we've talked at length about this. I mean, I'm very, I'm fairly critical of the perspective of kind of what I call the pew marshmallow, and the idea of just showing up on Sunday, and getting fixed up, and then you know, your money in the offering plate and come back next week after you wash, rinse, repeat, and you just keep doing this over and over. And to me, there's a, a real sense of apathy that's been, that has developed in the church. And I, and I can speak a little bit firsthand on this because in my visit to Thomaston a couple of days ago, and I, on Sunday, well, actually, and I had the opportunity to speak to the church, great people, amazing people, inspiring for me. I had an, I, I'm blessed to have had an opportunity to share a lot of my early development with them and, and have them share with me back. But there's a, there's a sense of properness in these churches of things you should not talk about and things that you need to be delicate about when you discuss it. And as I shared with you, when I discussed the issue of the vax and the masks, I mean, kind of how I summed it up there was, God does not do politics, and God does not care about pharmaceuticals. The things that God cares about is when you made your decisions, were they done fearlessly, and did you have your eyes on Christ? And if you are part of one of those families that decided to divide yourself 
over the issues of mask or vax, fix it because that's not God's world. And I, I mean, it went over very well, but those are not, that sort of hard directness I find is missing in a lot of our pulpits. And I think that's where so much of our problem comes in. And you mentioned that earlier, even in this discussion, and that goes, takes us back to the black robe regimen. It takes us back to the early development of our nation. And it takes us back to the importance of the voice of the pastor in awakening and maintaining a republic. You know, I, I think we have way too many hirelings as opposed to sent ones. I mean, I think we've got a lot of volunteers that have chosen a full-time um, career in ministry. And, and then the problem is, is well, what happens when I have to live off of just the voluntary giving of people? That's scary. Mortgages don't get paid just by hopes and wishes. And I don't think, I don't think most of the pastor guys that I know ever went into the ministry because they were chasing a dollar. I think they, 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 they had some sense of, of a calling in some ways sense, you know, shape or form, but it's like, did God send you or did you volunteer? Because if you volunteer, that's nice. But if he sent you, then he's responsible behind it and he'll take care of it. You know, wherever God guides, God provides. And I think one of the ways that you can know and kind of put yourself out there, whether you're in the will of God or not, is, is God actually providing the essentials of what you need to do to do what he said. If he's not, then you really need to be on your face to be like, what's wrong with this equation, God? Because God didn't send anyone out empty-handed and say, hey, you're on your own. And it's like, you know, it's like he will provide you. I don't know that he's going to give you a plane, a Rolex, and whatever else people pursue, but he's going to provide for you. And that's scary. I mean, I, I know it is to plant churches when you got promised of nothing. But I had a promise from him, and it's like God has done some extraordinary things because I simply obeyed the directives that he gave me to the best of my discerning capacity, and then I would look for the fruit. And if the fruit wasn't there, then you have to sit there like, well, maybe he didn't ask me. And I think too many pastors are stuck not looking at God as their provider, but they're afraid of offending the people because they think that that's the provision. I mean, I, I, I do not know the pastor that enjoys taking up an offering because they, 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 they don't do it well. And it's like, you know, it's like God really is looking for a cheerful giver, not someone who's been conjoled and guilted into it. And, and I just go like, gosh, if we could remove the business of religion from everything, we'd get a whole lot more truth spoken with confidence. I mean, I, I walked away from the ministry. They, you know, they kind of threw me out, but not 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 until I first resigned. And that's a whole long story. But it's 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 a glorious moment of freedom for me because I have to go like, you know what, God, I'm not playing this religious game. And it seems as if the money surrounding church always warps it. And once I got free from that, I've never stopped being a disciple of others. But I took away the religious paycheck and I took away the title of, you know, whatever it is that they thought I was. 
And I simply loved people. And I've been investing in them ever since. And I love the fact that my mortgage and everything else is not from some sort of religious endeavor. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a serial entrepreneur, and sometimes it's like, oh, no, what do we do now? <laughs> and and uh, everything you do works. And so, I, but I don't mind living in that space because then it's like, wait a minute, I don't have to spin this. I get to tell the truth. And sometimes that's hard truth. I mean, what you said to the, to the Church of Thomas, and that might have made them a little uncomfortable, but what is exactly there to argue with? I think that's, you know, I, I don't go ahead. No, I, I just, I think that's such an important point is when we follow and we're listening to God, we usually don't have a lot left to say. I mean, I, well, we can discuss it. I mean, as you know, I've, I've talked about this on the show too. It's like, there's times I say, uh, uh-uh, uh, I'm not, <laughs> I, I'm not, I don't want to do this. And usually he wins. I'll say that. I mean, it's, but it might take a little different form where it might be like, okay, go try it your way. And you come back and you're like, that sucked. He's like, okay, <laughs> how about this way? The one I showed you before, you're like, okay, I, I, I can see it now, yeah. right? But but isn't it a bit of a, a challenge in a wrestling match to come to that sense of clarity, especially when you know the, the stakes are a little bit higher and you're kind of like, man, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I have a confidence in being able to hear God I don't pretend to have a flawless capacity in doing that. Like I'm usually kind of peering through the fog going like, I think I heard this and now I got to take a step. And then I'm, I'm looking for the fruit of my obedience to bring confirmation that I'm doing it right and doing the, you know, and going in the direction. I have. And, and I, I, I look for that. I ask for that, but you know, kind of with a, with a humble heart that just says, God, help me be aware of my bias. You know, I, I don't want to so want something that the voice is really strong and it's really my voice and I just call it God. You know, I, I've watched a lot of that. And I think that the thing that the thing that I recognize is that when when I could put my heart before God, just says, hey, I, I, I don't know the objective person on planet Earth. Everyone has biases of some shape or form. My confidence is not in my capacity to hear, it's in his to speak. And I think that when your heart is saying, hey, God, I really am showing up as a servant. I'm saying yes before you tell me what. I think that heart has a great wide open pathway to hearing his voice and growing in confidence because I think if, if God says something and I sort of debate on whether I want to do it, I think God tends to look down and says, "Yeah, not ready yet. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait for that heart that I know will respond to what I'm saying." And I don't think it's a penalty. I don't think he's pissed. I think he's just going like, "To whom much is given, much is required," and with clarity comes greater demands of obedience. And so I think we have to walk this thing out, and it's, it's sometimes challenging, especially if you have to deliver a hard word to somebody. You know, it's like I, I don't want to be brutal in what I'm saying, especially if there's the capacity for me to get it wrong. You know, that's what got Moses benched from going into the promised land, is he misrepresented the heart of God as being angry when God wasn't. And 
that's a pretty significant consequence to be sort of benched right when it's time to go into the promised land. You know, how sucky for Moses. Well, that's an interesting piece there that I think we can kind of, we're going to, as we kind of close this conversation today, and of course we're going to need to do a lot more, but it's what you just hit there. The action of Moses was in reading, it's fairly insignificant. It's striking the stone. Yeah. And yet it is massively significant in the representation of what God's intent is. And I, I so this is where I think we kind of arrive at in this all this consequent of all this discussion is that walking in the word of God and and leading others is a massive responsibility. And listening is an essential skill. And a lot of those components are really messed up in this day. They're convoluted they're in it by intention. So it is, a, as you said, many times there is a cautious walk. But at the same time, I'm by nature, I tend to take bold steps. And I don't know about you, but I mean, that's kind of like me. I'm like, okay, cautious, and I'm just going to jump. Yeah, I, I have an extra dose of passion and zeal. <laughs> It's helpful sometimes, and it's not helpful others. <laughs> yes, I know this. You, you, you know what I think so important about that whole bit with Moses, especially right now, is that was the second time that the body of people said, hey, we don't have any food and water. We're freaked out and help. And the first time, Moses assembled them all, and he struck the rock. And all of a sudden, miraculously, water is provided for, well, there's probably about several million people. So it's not just a tiny hose. It's like, I don't know how that works, but that, that's extraordinary. This is that generation of people that watched all of their parents and the previous generation die in the wilderness because of disobedience. And the wilderness is aptly named the wilderness of sin. And you just got like, really? Wow. <laughs> Bad place to die. And this younger generation is now going like, okay, we, you've asked us to go into this other land, and, and we're just not sure. We, we don't have any food. We don't have any water. All we know is our lack. And Moses has spent a generation of dealing with the malcontents. And the people all angry and frustrated and just grumbling at God. And, and it's even worse than that. They were worshiping the fallen, sacrificing to Baal and Molech, even in the wilderness. And we miss those, but that, that it revealed that out of Jeremiah. And just going like, so they didn't just, you know, have a few problems or didn't just complain about, oh, it's hot. It's like they were doing seriously wrong. And this younger generation, they needed to know that God was with them and for them. That's probably the most critical juncture if they had any hope of crossing over the Jordan and then going to war against giants. They needed to know that God was with them. And Moses, in his own just sort of moment of tiredness, being worn out, not having his, his focus on the God who can, he just responded out of his anxiety and his own frustration. And he struck the rock again, which doesn't seem to be that terrible of a uh, an issue, but but it misrepresented God's heart. He, he he represented God who was somewhat angry about them asking, and somewhat reluctant 
to provide. And I think if ever there's been a fault in the angry, you know, finger-wagging pulpit of the church is that it's not let us realize that God is with us, he's aware of our frailty, he's aware of our lack, and he really is willing to be more than what we even can dare to ask or think and dream, and he's for us. And if we knew that, we'd live different. And too many um, people have, I mean, why is it that everybody thinks God's some angry judge with lightning bolts? Just waiting to roast someone for disobedience. Because that's, that's, that's how the pastor felt. That's how the gospel's been preached, because we wanted to manipulate people into obedience. And I just end up going like sad hirelings. They don't know who he is. I don't have to be all pissed at them, but they just, they don't know who he is. And that moment was like, Moses, you, you just blew it big time because you do know me. And what you gave them was your angst, not my heart. And that wasn't a little deal. That was a big deal. And he was in a position of leadership. And there was much more required on him. And, you know, the, the, the thing that he ruined was the whole notion that Jesus was – it says in Corinthians that Jesus was there. He was standing on that rock. He was the rock that was there in the wilderness. And it's a type of the cross where you're supposed to strike once and forever. Then just speak. And the rivers of living water will flow out of that. And Moses didn't recognize how pivotal that was meant to teach them. That all you got to do is ask. And I don't know why we don't, we're not bold askers. You know, I think that, you know, we've had some great times of praying at night at, at different times. And what I love is the boldness of what you ask for. It's not small. It's like, Father. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, may we have the kingdoms and salvation. It's kind of like, I, I love the fact that, that, as you've walked this thing out, you're recognizing, you know what? We ask, he's going to supply. What's so hard about that? It's pretty amazing. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's, it's, and I think if we all kind of, with the heart of Jesus, we're asking that way with humility. I think that's, I've said many times, this nation, and you and I have talked about this. I mean, we put our eyes on Christ this stuff ends. It's like, it's done. It's like, we're all looking at Father going, okay, here we are. Forget them. Our eyes are on Christ and to you. And now, Father, just hear our prayers. Let's move forward. I think this thing ends. I don't think it continues on. Hey, you mentioned this the other day. Um, and when we were talking, it's like out of Isaiah. It's like, can a nation be saved in the day? That's a question. And the answer is absolutely yes. And I don't know about you, but you read through the book of Isaiah, and it's like by by most of our standards, Isaiah should have been stoned as a false prophet because so much of what he said hasn't yet fully happened. Those words are still out there waiting for fulfillment. And I think Isaiah is going like, hey, I said a correct word, people. <laughs> I think he's looking for some crazy nutbags that are going like, okay, throw me the ball, coach. <laughs> I'm going long. 
I see. I look at America. And I'm going like, you know what? It's not hard for God in one day to turn the whole thing around. The problem isn't on his side. And it's not just some display like if he split the sky and went boom. I think God is going like, you know what? I'm looking for something that's honest and genuine. And I want to know, is there anybody out there that really wants me? Or do you just want my stuff? Well, Brad, we always close with a prayer. And I would like you to do the prayer today. Hey, Jesus, I want to speak on behalf of every heart out there that's going to beat and going like, I want you. And I just want to say, God, we have never been more needy. We have never had our back up against the wall, perhaps more. There's evil just loosed upon the world in a way that, God, I, we don't have an answer. But I know you do. And, Lord, I just want to say I want you more than anything else. You don't owe me or any of us anything. But, God, I long to know you and to look like you and to be transformed into your very image. Because I know you're looking for a bride who's made herself ready. And so, God, to all the hearts that are listening to this, that will ever encounter this, would you summon them by the power of your spirit? Will you woo them? Will you, will you fascinate them with your presence in a way that just everything else just goes strangely dim because of the surpassing greatness and glory of who you are? God, that could change everything. And I ask, would you pour yourself out upon this nation and this globe in a way that's extraordinary so that the people in darkness sitting at the bar, confused, with nothing to capture them, would actually see someone radiating your glory? And would you allow your felt presence to become known. And Lord, I pray that every single one listening that knows you, would you fill them with your Holy Spirit in such an overflowing way that everyone around them knows something different. There's somebody here that knows the living God. And would you get them into battle dispensing your greatness and your love? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brad, thank you. It's always a great pleasure talking, and I'm always happy to have you on the show. We're going to have to do more because there's a lot to talk about these days. <laughs> yes, there is. Hey, I want to do one other thing. Jesus, would you bless Scott's Paul Revere ride even greater than you already have? Would you continue to encounter him, Lord? And God, I ask, where the soul of every one of his feet treads and his Jeep drives, <laughs> would you give us that territory? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and he's got some big tires, too, so we're going to take some territory on <laughs> this ride. On. Let's go. Let's take it. Well, Brad, I hope you have a very blessed evening. Thank you for being on, and we will chat very soon. 
Awesome. God bless. Patriots, that was Pastor Brad Cummings, and I hope you enjoyed that interview. He's a brilliant mind. He's part of a constant conversation that I have, digging deeper and deeper into Scripture. He and I are going to continue these conversations going forward as we kind of dig into these topics of strengthening the pulpit, and we'll continue those in the weeks ahead, and hopefully next week we'll be able to get another one scheduled and and recorded so you can enjoy that. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs, and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who moved forward and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country.
old evil that has waited thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words, in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath.